So welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Match Fit Football Podcast. I'm Darren, your host here this week, as always. And just a reminder, there are links in the description of this podcast for all our social media channels. Make sure you go on there, give them a give them a click and click follow. Um, today's guest, Craig McGillery, he is the chart and goalkeeper. His social media will be in there as well. So make sure you give him a follow as well. Craig, welcome to the show. Delighted to get you here. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. As I said, I, I can't wait. I'm excited to get started and we're talking to a teammate of yours later on today. So look out for that episode. We're talking to one of Craig's teammates, Connor Washington, in an upcoming episode as well. So keep an eye for that one. We're going from the goalkeeper to the strikers. Um, we'll have a little bit of a discussion on this about the rivalry that there is in training between the two. But Craig, you know, just before we went live, we talked about um, Friday night away in the FA Cup, a long trip to Gateshead, and then you have a game tomorrow night again. How's this season been for you so far and how are you finding life at Charlton? Yeah, it's been a an interesting start to the season. We obviously, when I signed, there was a lot of expectation around that with, with it being Charlton Football Club getting promoted out of League One, um, and it didn't quite start the way we wanted to. We only won two games in the first thirteen league games, um, and it's been a frustrating time. Obviously, it ended with Nigel Atkins losing his job, unfortunately, uh, and it's never nice when you see when your managers lose their job ultimately. Um, and I think we said it off off the camera. It's always it's always seems to be the case when the manager loses the job. Um, you always seem to get this reaction, and things start changing all of a sudden. We've gone on a really good run recently, and it's now just about trying to claw back, um, yeah, the points that we've we've lost at the start of the season. At this stage of the season, you know, it's just the start of December. There's still a long way to go. Is that the way how yourself and, you know, your teammates are looking at it right now, that there's still a lot of football to be played? I think so, yeah. Well, you just have to look at the last couple of years with, with the League One in particular. Um, nothing's ever done by Christmas. My previous clubs I've been at, we've um, been top of the league two out of the three years at Christmas. And unfortunately, we didn't get promoted. And... You see it every single year. There's always a team right at the bottom end of the league um, that seems to hit this unbelievable vein of form all the way through the second half of the year and ends up in around the playoffs and maybe even makes the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you just it's one of them, like you just said, there's a long way to go. We're not even at the halfway point yet. We're not far away, but we're not at the halfway point. And mm-hmm. there's so many points left to play for. I absolutely agree with you and it's one of those leagues where there's so many good teams in there that teams will take points off each other and there's no easy games there's no easy trips there's no three points in the bank it's always a crazy but really fun league actually to, to follow and to watch if you're a fan I suppose but I want to get yeah. into I want to get into your journey a bit and I've titled this sort of section the person behind the athlete tell me a little bit about your journey you know you've played for you know a couple of different clubs already and um, now you're at Charlton and, and, and the aim is to get promoted and to work your way up. You've been in the international squad and stuff like that. Tell me a bit about your journey and maybe even when you realised that you can make a career from football. Was it always the goal to be a professional footballer or was there a, a penny dropping moment at 15, 16? Like, give me all the background details. So it's interesting because you kind of said what your sort of target audience is and the, <laughs> the sort of age gap, what it is normally. Um, and... Yeah, I've had a very different sort of um, career path to a, a lot of footballers. Um, but when I was when I was turned five is when I sort of wanted to sort of play in foot, started to play football. Um, didn't have a clue what the game was. I grew up on a farm, um, so I was in the middle of nowhere, right in the Highlands of Scotland, on a farm, 
didn't really watch telly, so didn't have a clue what it was. Moved to, to Yorkshire and then that's sort of in the back garden, looking out the back with some playing fields. And there's obviously these group of kids playing football and that sort of, I was just like, oh, I want, oh, what's this? I, I want to go and play this. So I went over and started joining in, loved it, wanted to keep playing it, kept telling my parents, take me down a Saturday morning. Um, and I can remember, I must have been five or six when I told my dad, as you do, parents ask their kids, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I wanted to play football. And yeah, I kind of got the old, okay, yeah, that's brilliant. You can strike it, but the likelihood is it's not going to happen. So what are you going to do? Um, what else do you want to be? And I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm going to play professional football. That is going to be my career path. And that's kind of how it was. And I continued just, as you do, playing with your mates on a Saturday or every night, whenever there's a bit of light, with a couple of t-shirts, whatever, on the on the grass, um, and then I got to the age of uh, eighteen, and I had to decide whether I was going to go to uni um, or work. And I decided to go into to start uni. I was going to do a sport coaching degree, and then I thought I'm going to play on a, a Saturday, but train in the week for a non-league team. Mm-hmm. Um, just going to the non-league conference north and enjoy it. Went there, um, didn't, it didn't sort of, it wasn't the most pretty thing in the world. Um, and as I was working, I ended up going out and playing against Stereobridge in a, a Tuesday night match in, that's kind of where it started. Um, cause they were full time at the, at the time, they were full time in the conference North and they asked me if, um, what the situation is, would I like to come and play for them? It's it's obviously professional, so whatever your work commitments are, they'll obviously have to stop. Mm-hmm. So I ended up for a year, ended up going and commuting on the train every single day to Stadium and back. So I was getting off at like half seven, getting on the train for four hours and getting off. And one of the lads would pick me up to train to get back on the train again, four hours back. And then that happened for a year. And then it got to the point where I thought, well, this is crazy because at the minute I'm getting paid my expenses, but that's about it. And it's a long way to go, and I can't keep doing it because there's not. It didn't feel like it was going anywhere. Although you're doing it every day, I wasn't playing a lot. It was typical. Oh, he's a young lad. He ain't got much experience, and you're not really playing much. So then I thought, well, well, I need to move closer to home. I need to try and find a team more local to me. So that's when I signed for Harrogate Town. Um, they were in the same league at the time, and I went there. I thought, brilliant. The number one there's gone. He went off to Peru. Um, funnily enough. Went there and they signed another experienced goalkeeper who, Simon Weaver, who's still there, funnily enough, um, knew from when they, either, I, think, were they either, I can't remember if they were playing together or they've, they've worked together uh, from Macclesfield. And I ended up getting pushed out on loan for a couple of games to another local team, Harrogate Railway. Played a couple of games there, did really well. And we were due to play Bishop Auckland in the FA Cup preliminaries. And the game prior to that, we played Geisley and the guy who was in net, unfortunately, got knocked out, was concussed, couldn't remember a thing. So that was my chance. And then I played that game and then that's kind of where it sort of escalated from there. Got two years down the line, finally got an opportunity at the age of 21, nearly 22 years of age, to go and play in the Football League in League One at Walsall. So it took all that time from the age of five, no academy system, just enjoying my football on a Saturday morning and, and playing on a Sunday, training on a Saturday, playing on a Sunday, 
to then getting this opportunity at nearly 22 years of age. So understandably, an elephant never forgets. I ended up ringing me the old man when I first signed that contract and said to him, I've done it. And as they do, he tried to completely bat it away as if he'd never even said it. So, but the, yeah, and that was kind of it. And it, yeah, there was a lot of up and downs at Walsall. I never really got a real crack at it there. Um, we had Richard O'Donnell there at the time. And then he left, um, being out of contract, he decided not to stay and move on. Neil Etheridge, who's now at Birmingham, mm -hmm. he um, came in after leaving Charlton, I think, actually, mm -hmm. vaguely enough. But he hadn't played much games, but he was a couple of years older than me. So they brought him in and he, unfortunately, unfortunately for me, got the nod. So I was limited to game time there. And then three years down the line, I think I played 21 league games in three years, which mm -hmm. wasn't great for me. Um, Went to Shrewsbury. Dean Henderson came in. So I thought, oh, another setback. I mean, I'm not getting a break here. I'm never getting a break at this moment. But I kept on plugging away. Played eight league games that, that only year I spent at Shrewsbury. And then off the back of that, I got a little bit of luck in the sense that Dean, unfortunately for him, got suspended for three games around the January period. And one of the games was against Portsmouth. And I came in, we won the game, played well. And that led to, in that summer, when I was out of contract, Portsmouth taking me down to Fratton Park, where I spent three years and finally got my break to prove that I can make it in the Football League. Um, and then, yeah, I left in the summer. Uh, unfortunately, I think COVID didn't help the situation. I got told that with the whole financial side of things that they want to go a different route mm -hmm. and unfortunately when that's the case and it's nothing to do with your ability or you as a person there's not a great deal you can do I think it was the same for a lot of people in the summer um, but thankfully yeah I, I got an opportunity to come to, to Charlton which is a, a massive club in League One and it mm -hmm. certainly shouldn't be in League One that's for mm -hmm. sure the, That's the thing isn't it you know crazy things have happened because of COVID and obviously the situation at Portsmouth and how you left there probably wasn't how you would have liked it or how it was envisioned, but it is what it is. And now yeah. you're at Charlton, a massive club, like you said, like Charlton's mm. a huge club. I and think only was it eight years ago they were in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, so, and there's some of the names, I actually can't believe it. When you actually go into the ground, you obviously look at who's played for the club. Obviously being from up north, you don't really, you don't really follow as many southern teams as, mm -hmm. as you would as up north. And that's the thing, it's some of the names on the, on, that have played for them is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it is. And I think even the demand there, you know, from the Charlton supporters, the pressure of all the, I wouldn't even say all the, mm -hmm. I'm sure it's a similar at Portsmouth as well, who probably don't see themselves as a League One club, but the mm -hmm. demands of the fans in terms of this is a big club, this is an institution, you know, to be a yeah. League One, that you know, that just takes it up levels. But one of the interesting points that you mentioned um, on your journey was the four-hour train journey. And I want to touch on that just slightly because when you're doing that daily, that obviously must yeah. take a toll on you, not just physically, but mentally, four hours a day mm -hmm. sitting on a train or each way perhaps sitting on a train. Yeah. Um, was there ever any period during that where you had time to reflect or did that maybe make the fire to go pro burn more because you were on that train? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Or did it make you kind of almost go the other way being like, is it worth it? Um, tell me about that that little experience and how, what you're going um, through at that time. It was a big. It's a big. Like, when you get to eighteen, you've got a massive decision to make. Are you going to go and work? You're going to go to uni. What What are you going to do? Um, and obviously, with being in in uni at the time, 
um, it was a it was a big decision to make in completely scrapping my education. I didn't particularly want to go to uni. I'd done it for eight years and didn't want to continue. But it was what I only saw myself doing at the time because football wasn't wasn't really going to be a career. Um, so I ended up doing that, and then I ended up getting that opportunity to go full time. Like you said, going four hours on the train one way to then coming back again and changing at numerous different places. Um, it's it was kind of. I have to do it if I'm going to, uh, this is the best opportunity you've got at doing something in a professional environment, football wise and doing that every single day, which is what you want to do since you were five years of age, and you've got to do it and you've got to stick to it and you've got to do everything you can possibly do so that if it doesn't work out, mm-hmm. you then, then don't have any regrets. And I think that's the biggest thing is you, in, in any line of work, not just football in any line of work is you never know quite how close you are to something and people and people give up. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And that that that's the biggest thing. And that's in all walks of life, not just football. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, there there was numerous times where I'd wake up and I'd be like, oh, not again. I've got to do this all over again. Mm-hmm. Go on the train, sit there, wait, get off, go training, come back, and do it every single day. And you're not play, you're not play, you're not you're not playing on Saturday. I was barely getting an opportunity, mm-hmm. but I don't know. There was just part of me that was saying you, you wanted to do this full time. And you've got this opportunity now and you have you have to give it everything. It was only at the end of the season when I realised that the level I was playing at, I could do much more local. To, okay, you wouldn't be able to do it full time, but you could play at that level a bit closer to home potentially. And I got a little bit of luck in the sense that, unfortunately for Jose Vega, who was the goalkeeper, who got himself knocked out the, the Tuesday before that FA Cup game. But that was the opportunity I needed. And then that's how it all sort of escalated from there. And then I got a little bit more of a break at Walsall, albeit the three years there have been frustrating for me. You then go to Shrewsbury, you get the same thing. But I don't know, there was just something inside me at no point was I like, I'm going to stop. Yeah. Doesn't matter what someone says, whatever someone does, something will click in the end. And that's when I left Shrewsbury. Yeah, I think for me, it was, this is your opportunity to go into into a full-time environment, albeit it wasn't in the Football League, it was in non-league, but it was full-time football and I had the big decision to make whether to go to uni, stay in uni or leave. And for me, I'd always said, like I said at the start of this interview, I wanted to play full-time professional football. So for me, I I decided to take that risk and lead education and pursue that. And like you said there, going four hours there and back every single day and there was numerous days where I'd wake up and think I, I really do I really want to do this is it right to be doing this am I getting something from doing this but I don't know that, like I said I've already said it already there was something inside of me that wanted to pursue this and give it the best opportunity I could give it because then you've not got any regrets if it didn't work out it didn't work out but it got to the point at the end of that first year there and I just thought then that there is somewhere more local to where I am in the same level of football where you will get an opportunity. I can sense you'll get an opportunity. You just have that feeling that yeah. something will click eventually. And that's where it happened. I left there and okay, I didn't get the opportunity at Harrogate straight away. And unfortunately, Jose Vega got injured the Tuesday before that FA Cup game. But that was kind of the, the catalyst and then I didn't look back there I then got the opportunity to go into the Football League but it didn't really work out at Warsaw albeit I did play every now and again but it didn't really get a consistent amount of, of game time the same at Shrewsbury 
Um, I could still have been at Warsaw now. That, that's the interesting thing. I could. I, who knows what the past could have been? I decided to leave Warsaw and try and pursue something else. But I, I went to Shrewsbury. Once again, it's like, oh, okay. Well, Dean Ensign's now coming from Man United. Um, I'm now still a number two, not playing many games. Was it a right decision to do? And you do sit there and think, was it the right decision to do what I've just done? It's a big risk. Um, but I didn't play that many. And when I did, I did, did as well as I could. And that's where I always, and from life experience, I always say to people now, especially the young lads in football, you do not know who's watching you. You have no idea who's watching you. I didn't know they were watching me. And that's how I got my move to, to Portsmouth. Mm-hmm. I'd only played the eight league games. And off the back of that, I got a move to them. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up running up 130 odd games for them in three years. So it, it all changes very, very quickly. And they've got a massive fan base, massive expectation. The same as Charlton, which was which was no different to me. When I came through the door at Charlton, I knew what I wanted to achieve at Charlton. I knew I wanted to help them get promoted. Um, but there is there's a massive expectation there. They were in the Premier League not so long ago. They've had some unbelievable names play for them. And the fans demand success. They went through a horrendous time off the field. They nearly went into into oblivion, they disappeared completely. Um, but now the club's back on its feet and it, it is, it's still a sleeping giant. It should not be in League One and, and the fans do demand that they get back to where they were, rightly so. Well, that's obviously um, something that you as a player, you're, you realise that and you obviously know the mm-hmm. expectation and with charge mm-hmm. want to get promoted and go up through the leagues, that obviously matches your own ambition and your mm-hmm. own expectation, otherwise you wouldn't be there. No, no. Well, that's it. Well, I've, you always wonder sometimes and you always get, there's always way, different ways people will take things. If you, like I've said it many a time. I, I would love to play at the highest level I possibly can. Now, I would love to play in the Premier League. Even at the age of 28, I'd love to play in the Premier League to at least experience what that feels like. Now, if you said that, if I said them in the middle of, in the, middle of the street and I said that to, to someone, they'd probably go, huh, good one. But at the same time, I, I had that said to me when I was five. Oh, good one. You'll never play professional football. So you never know what is around the corner. I would at least like to, to help Charlton get into the championship and experience the championship. But I don't think anyone in life should have a limit on what they want to achieve. Once again, going back to it, I've been in the professional game now for seven, nearly eight years. And when I first signed that first professional contract, you mentioned it at the start. Uh, two years ago, I was in the, in, the, in the national squad. I would never have in a million years dreamt when I was five. I'd have been kicking a ball around with Andy Robinson and, the, and John McGinn and people like that. Mm-hmm. So it just shows there is never any, that no one should ever put, put what you want to achieve because ultimately anything is achievable in, on, this, on this planet. I totally agree with that and it's really a lot of it comes down to you your hard work your work work ethic and even you mentioned it earlier on that you don't know who's watching you sometimes it's just catching that break keepers mm-hmm. injured you step in and there's a scout there from Portsmouth or there's someone there from Portsmouth and all of a sudden you go to Portsmouth and you have three amazing years there and you, you know you pretty much you become a, such a f- permanent fixture in the first team there and you mm-hmm. enhance your reputation now you're a Charlton and you're doing the same thing there it's incredible just the little nuances in football that just kind of fall into place. Yeah, and it's it's amazing. And everyone says it as you get a bit older. And I, I talk as if I'm a lot older than I am, but I do <laughs> see it like that. There's so much that 
when like I've said it already, when you're doing things, you think, oh, is, is it eventually going to turn? Is the tide finally going to turn? Have I made the right decision? Did I make the right um, move there? Did I do that for the right reason? But then you look back at it now and go, if I didn't do exactly what my, my life journey in football has been, in my life in, in, in general, not just football, I wouldn't be here. I would not be where I am today um, without doing what I've done and going through the tough times that I've had. And it is, you've said there, it's a lot of it is a bit of luck. A lot of it is opinions, but... At some point, if you keep doing the right things and you do the very best you can for you and you don't leave any stone unturned, I'm a big believer in things will change and something will eventually fall for you, 100 million percent. I think I think that's the key, isn't it? You know, you've said when you don't leave any stone unturned because I even liken it to like a theatre production. You know, we only see when the lights are on the 19 minutes. But what we don't see is the training every day. What we don't see is you going to the gym in your personal time and working on your flexibility mm. or, or working on, you know, muscle groups or certain things that, you mm. know, give you the edge. And I want to talk to you a little bit about doing the extras, you know, working mm. outside of training, outside of um, your local football club, whoever it were you were signed with at the time and mm. doing that extra bit to get that extra 1% or extra 5%. That is, mm. in my opinion, that's massive, I think, as well, because we can look at it and go, oh, he was lucky the keeper was injured and someone came in. But that person has been killing themselves for five, six, seven, eight years behind the scenes to get that mm. opportunity. And they're ready when it happens. So tell me a bit about that bit, you know, behind the curtain, so to speak. So, well, it's interesting because I didn't play in net until I was 16. <laughs> I played outfield. Um, and I still remember when I wasn't playing football on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning. I'd be out in the garden kicking a ball against the wall or playing on the street using two drains or two T-shirts or and any, any bit of grass I could get hold of just to kick a ball around with my mates. One just football, it was all sports, but mainly football. If I had a football ball, football at my feet, it was there. I'd take a ball with me wherever I went, literally. Um, and then I got to 16, went in there, and the same sort of thing happened there. I'd be out all the time until it got dark. Like, in the minute, it gets dark at four o'clock, I'd still be out now. I'm looking at the window as we speak. Mm -hmm. There's a teeny bit of light. I can still see the walls. So I'd be out there. I would still be out there now, kicking a ball around, catching a ball off the wall, getting my parents to kick a ball at me or my siblings. Then you get a bit older, and I tell this story to a few people, and they think I'm absolutely barking mad, but it is so true. And I didn't even think of it when we were talking, but like you mm -hmm. said, there's always those extra things that you did that have got you where you are. I used to go to the park on my own. It got to the point where my siblings and my parents would sort of be busy doing the stuff they're doing. And I'd be just sort of left to, to have my own free time. And I'd go down to the local park where everyone walks their dogs and just goes for walks as, as a couple or a family. And I'd set a camera up. So I'd tape it to a pole put it in front of the goal and go and stand in the goal. And I would visualize myself in certain um, phases in a game mm -hmm. and I would dive. No one shot a ball. There's no ball coming at me, but I would visualize someone shooting and I would practice technique wise mm -hmm. diving for that ball, whether it was low, whether it's high, whether it was in my feet, all the different ones you'd get in a game. Mm -hmm. I'd then go home, go on YouTube, time in goalkeeping training and I'd sit and watch nearly every single one that was most most recent 
whoever it was, Lloris, Mandanda, uh, Oliver Kahn, Casillas, people like that. Watch them in games, watch them in training, watch how they, their technique was, and then compare it next to me. They go back out again and do it. And I must have done that almost every day, every single day. It became an obsession. I became absolutely fixated on learning what they do, taking what they learn to the next day, going outside, set the camera up again and do what they did. And then just constantly learning that way. And then when I went, when I finally went to Walsall and I explained that to the goalkeeping coach there, who's now at Aston Villa, um, so he's now training with Emmy Martinez and people like that. But I was explaining it to him. I said, I've never been coached. Literally, everything you see from me here in this session we've just done, I've taught myself, quite literally. Nothing has ever been told to me. And he was absolutely gobsmacked when I explained I've literally done all this from watching YouTube videos and videoing myself, not even having the ball kicked at me. And then it's him a case of from there, him just tweaking little things that maybe weren't quite right or could be better. Um, and that's kind of, yeah, like you said, it's putting on those extra hard yards. At Walsall, you then do your gym session after training, as you always do at every club. You do your training in the morning, your gym in the afternoon. I'd go from there, finish that gym session, to go to the local village down the road where we got, um, where we were allowed to use their gym. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday for the whole year, literally non-stop I would not and the thing is I'd come in every day and no, and no one had, no one would have had a clue no one would have had because I don't what's why does anyone you don't the best way to be is don't always tell everyone what's going on in your life you don't need to you do it for you you don't do it to try and get brownie, brownie points I'd go out to the gym because I wanted to do it I wanted to get stronger I wanted to get fitter to help enhance my game and there's little things like it's not stopped that I do it. It's the same old thing now. Okay, albeit I don't go um, to gym sessions throughout the week because I now know that I'm in as good a condition as I need to be. And the gym sessions I do are ones that I use to enhance little teeny bits now. But I've got to also be very careful that when you're playing, like we said, Saturday, Tuesdays or Friday, Tuesdays, you have got to allow your body to, to rest and your mind to rest because rest is very important in, in, in sports as well. It's, it's a phenomenal insight into you, you know, at that young age, going out and almost self-training yourself. And there's a couple mm. of questions I want to follow up with because there's so much detail in that answer. Um, mm. I want to ask, first of all, whenever you did go from training yourself to being coached, was that a hard adjustment? And then secondly, you know, you talked about the rest and recovery that you need and the physical demands that's put on your body. You know, I feel like, goalkeepers in a way get it in a rough way because you're constantly throwing yourself to the ground constantly diving you know the what you're putting your body through every day in training and then on a match plus at the same time you also don't get the break when you mentioned it earlier oh you're a young keeper you're inexperienced whereas a, 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 little, a young fullback might get that chance because he's beside mm. an experienced center back whereas goalkeepers kind of don't get that luxury so to speak and mm. tell me a little bit about going from not being coached to being coached and then also the latter part of that about, you know, the recovery and getting those opportunities as a young keeper, because that had to be frustrating. Yeah. So for me, from not being coached to being coached, I really enjoyed it. I didn't find it a difficult transition at all. Um, I knew what I was teaching myself was 
I didn't think it was technically by the book correct what I was doing. I knew there was going to be little things that weren't quite right and a, a techni technically wasn't perfect. So when you're getting coached and they're sort of tweaking little things to make you better, I, I did enjoy it. The only thing I did notice is, like all things, if you get into certain habits, they are very hard to get rid of when you've done it for such a long period of time, which we notice little things like when I'm setting to catch ball, I'd have a little trigger on my arms. <laughs> so the ball struck my arms would go back to then come forward <laughs> self-consciously. So it's very, yeah. and then he's trying to get that out. He's like, just leave your hands there, <laughs> leave them there. Don't let them move. So it's little things like that where it was frustrating because you don't know you're doing certain things, but they can see it. <laughs> but when you've done it for so long that you thought was right and it wasn't, <laughs> it's then trying to change that round. But at the same time, like I said, when you are now getting coached, it it was I found it very beneficial and really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the recovery side, I've only recently got better at this mm -hmm. because I've been so hell bent and getting to where I wanted to get to. I would I'd never see a day's rest. Mm -hmm. It's always a day to go and do more. Another 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 half percent. Another half percent. Another half percent. If you rest, you're missing out on a half percent there. Mm -hmm. But then as you get older, you've also got to realise that your body is its a machine. Mm -hmm. It has to have a breather at some stage. It has to be refueled. It has to have, it has to be maintained. Mm -hmm. And like you said, as a goalkeeper, everyone says it. Funnily enough, the SNC guy said it literally the other day. He was like, mm -hmm. all goalkeepers are very robust. You're whacking yourselves all, all over the floor. You're getting balls kicked to your left, right, and centre. Your fingers are taking knocks. You get balls in the face. Mm -hmm. um, and little daft things, but mentally as well. Like, as a goalkeeper, you are on your own. Mm -hmm. the you make a mistake, normally ends in a goal. Mm -hmm. You're right. You've got the away fans right behind you. You've got all them shouting left, right, and centre. So mentally, it's, it's, it's a very niche industry where I think a lot of people don't quite realise until you're doing it just how uh, specialised I think it is as a position physically and mentally so yeah in terms of recovery I, I've got better at it I still think I could probably be a little bit better still but I've always been yeah a very hard working person that sort of never wants to sort of waste an opportunity to, to get better at something mm -hmm. What about the likes of like an ice bath or massages or anything like that? Would you use any type of techniques to recover? So weirdly enough, <laughs> I, um, I ended up getting to the point where I thought I'm, I feel really, I ache today. I feel I'm really achy. Um, I think we'd played a Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, mm -hmm. Tuesday, and we had quite a bit of traveling in that. Mm -hmm. So I ended up going in and speaking to the uh, sports massage and sports science at Charlton, uh, sat down and they were sort of just doing a little bit of soft tissue work. Mm -hmm. Um, quite a few little knots and stuff in, in my muscles and stuff like that. And it got into conversation about, oh, uh, um, have you had much of this in the past? And I, uh, this is like I said before, I, I've never been very good at using what you've got at your disposal. <laughs> and I said, no, I don't. I've <laughs> I, Unfortunately, I had um, a physio at Walsall that <sighs> he didn't mean it in the way he meant it, but all the lads were sort of, You'd never, if you went and had soft tissue, it was pointless. Um, you've got to get on with it. it, it you, unless you're literally your limbs hanging off, you, you carry on. 
Mm-hmm. So I always, that's how I sort of always saw it. I don't need to have it. I don't need to have it, but it is important, soft tissue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd always, I'd always just try and get by it by myself mm-hmm. because you're never, uh, yeah, all sports people say, you never play a game, you never do training where you're a hundred million percent. Mm-hmm. You feel absolutely perfect. You've always got a niggle or a little bit of an ache or you're a little bit tired. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just get on with it. But I do think as I'm getting older, I'm realising that it is okay and it is good as well for your performance and your recovery to have soft tissues and ice baths. Mm-hmm. The science is there to prove it. So mm-hmm. why would you not use it? And like I said, I am slowly getting better at it. Well, obviously something you're you're working on. Um, another question mm-hmm. I want to talk to you about is, is there any supplements or anything that you would take to help enhance your performance? You know, you're like glutamines, BCAAs, whey protein, things like that. Is there anything you kind of stand by that always gives you, you feel gives you a little bit of an edge? Yeah, so for me, it's just mainly just it's protein. Mm-hmm. Um, eating a, I'm, I'm pretty vague on this. I, I always believe in everything in moderation. Mm-hmm. Eat a balanced, healthy diet. Um, but then after after training or gym or after a game, I'll uh, I'll have protein shakes and that sort of thing. But everything else, they, at the odd time, I've had BCAs and, mm-hmm. and they seem to to work. But you're talking about like the really it, every person's got the um, their own sort of thing that they they abide by. Um, for me, it's just making sure I eat enough food to to fuel my body and help recover and everything in moderation, really. Mm-hmm. Um, well, another topic I want to touch on, and I agree with that, you know, I'm very much a, a, in the same boat as you in terms of everything in moderation, you have to know your own body and know how mm-hmm. it functions and take care of it accordingly. But part of the your journey is the international call up with Scotland. And obviously mm-hmm. you've been playing at Portsmouth and now you're playing at Charlton and the expectation is there, the fans are there, it's demanding. There's both clubs, I believe, certainly see themselves at higher level than the championship. Um mm-hmm. What's the atmosphere like at training every day on a daily basis at, say, Charlton? Um, what, what's the difference between that and an international camp? Talk to me a little bit about the atmosphere and the training style at Scotland versus, say, the expectation and demands on a daily basis at Charlton. Okay. So should I start with the international sort of sure. things? Yeah. Okay, super. Um, so, yeah, that came around. I uh, When I first heard there was like a little mumble about it, I thought I just sort of kind of put it to one side. Mm-hmm because I kind of didn't believe it would be possible. Mm-hmm. Um, it can't be true. Um, there was also a lot of hoo-ha about where I was born. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was born in, in, in Perth, in Scotland. But because mm-hmm. I'd lived majority of my life in England, you kind of, when I broke into professional football, I was in, living in England. Mm-hmm. So you, I got branded as English. So that kind of took a long period of time to finally explain and I made a point of it every time I was ever interviewed by whatever club I was at mm-hmm. that I'm Scottish I'm Scottish I was born there I did this I'm not uh, do you know what I mean just to make a point and eventually it got to the point where it was realised and before I knew it I got a phone call from my goalkeeping coach saying that oh the, the Scotland goalkeeping coaches rang me and said that you're you're going to be in the next uh, the next camp mm-hmm. for the European qualifiers mm-hmm. And I, I didn't know what to do. I actually had no idea. My <laughs> phone was ringing off the hook. I had all the, the sort of papers up to Scotland wanting to know about where I've come from. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because, I, like I said, everyone thought I was English. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never been in any setups before. I didn't come in any of the youth setups at Scotland. Mm-hmm. Never played at a professional level um, in Scotland. So 
yeah, it was just absolutely ridiculous. And then when you go away with them for two weeks, mm. you're mingling with people that you watch on the telly. <laughs> and it's like, what is going on here? How have I found myself <laughs> in this environment? And then you go out and, like you said there, about the training levels and stuff. It just goes up. It just goes up so many notches. I mean, the pace at which the balls move, the movement, every one of them is very fast. <laughs> and when they do things, it is the fine details. If they want to put a ball in a certain place, they are putting it right where they want to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and weirdly enough, I don't know why, but I don't know. I half thought it'd be one of them. I'm going to go there. I'm not going to get to speak to anyone. I'm not going to be able to um, get on with anyone because I'm, I'm someone who's come through non-league, mm -hmm. playing in League One, and they're all playing top-end Premier League and the top leagues around Europe. Mm -hmm. But every single one of them, most normal people you've ever met. And when you actually sit and speak to them, it goes back to this conversation we're having here. Mm -hmm. Everyone's got their own background, how they got to where they had, how did they start? It's, it's, it, it was really, really interesting and, in, and a great insight into how, how um, every player can get to where they want to get to, but it doesn't have to be the same way. <laughs> I've just got, yeah, I've just found myself, unfortunately, not being able to get back in the setup um, for, the, for the World Cup qualifiers. But to, to be, even be experiencing um, being in the, on the bench for the national team against Russia's, Belgium's, mm -hmm. Um, I think we played Cyprus, San Marino, but we played Belgium. And that, just looking out on the pitch and thinking, wow, like the, the Belgium team as well. Mm. Oh, my life. I mean, the players in there, it's just like, oh, blimey, how am I even here? Do you know what I mean? But then you also think, I've got here through my hard work leading up to this point. So, yeah, in terms of um, Charlton training and, yeah, it, it is, it's a high standard. Like, if it, I think it gets put, put it quite a lot you hear on talk sport and stuff like that where people mention championship and Premier League. They never mention League One really, very rarely. Um, but it is a good level of foot. It's a good standard of football, very good standard of football. It's getting stronger. You look at the teams in League One, we mentioned it before. Sunderland, Portsmouth, Ipswich, uh, Sheffield Wednesday. That's just a couple without even sitting there and really thinking. And the players... There, they've all been a lot of them have, have had stints at higher leagues, internationals. You see more and more League One games getting called off now because players are getting called up to the national teams. Mm -hmm. So it's it's the standard in training at Charlton is very very high. Mm -hmm. There's obviously little teeny differences every now and again, mm -hmm. but they're the differences you see when you see a Premier League player against people in League One. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean, like, when you watch it, they're not so glaringly obvious that, that you can distinguish such a difference in quality. Mm -hmm. It's just the finer details that are obvious when you've experienced both, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things you mentioned right at the very start was the pace and how fast everything mm -hmm. was. And um, speaking to different people, and even talking from youth level to right up to, you know, professional mm -hmm. elite level, that seems to be the main difference. It's how quick people not not really react, but it's almost like um, you're anticipating rather than reacting um, mm -hmm. and, and how quick the game is. 
Um, obviously for you as a goalkeeper, um, you got into that Scotland squad and you mentioned there, you know, like look, watching Belgium, like, wow, what, what a team Belgium is. But it, that must have also fueled your hunger and your desire for more at the same time, mm. just being part of that setup and seeing that. And, you know, you mentioned earlier in the podcast about you want to go as high as you can. You know, you don't put a limit on it. You started in non-league football. Mm. You didn't even come through the academies. You're playing in League One. No. Why not? Why can't you go higher? And then being called yeah. into the international setup and training with Andrew Robertson and training with John McGinn and Kieran Tierney and on and on it goes, that must give you such a fire on the inside to keep working to keep improving as well yeah well going back to the training quality you've got when I came back from those two weeks to go back into to Portsmouth it was a case of it felt like everything was in slow motion <laughs> quite literally when I'm getting the ball fired at me whether it was a goalkeeping coach or shooting drills or whatever it honestly felt like I could see the balls revolutions in the in the air the pattern on the ball because everything was that little teeny bit faster, a bit more powerful. The speed of everything was a little bit higher up when you're away with your, your national side than it is with your with your club. So it kind of makes you think, oh, like I like that. Oh, I, you want you want to experience it, and why should you ever put a limit on getting there again? Do you know what I mean? I, I still have aspirations, although I've not been in the last three camps. I think it is. For Scotland, I still have aspirations to play for Scotland. To get a cap is still my goal to get a cap for Scotland, 100%. And I, I, if, it, if it doesn't happen, then it doesn't happen. But it won't be anything that I've physically done or not pushed myself to get there, 100 million percent. And I, I've always said to myself, I'm going to play as long as I possibly can until my body cannot cope anymore. It'll be my body that does it, not my mind. My body blue one tells me you can't do it anymore. So. Well, well, that's a fascinating statement because it brings me on nicely to the match fit mindset portion of the podcast. And, you know, you're mm -hmm. talking about you, it'll be when your body decides to stop rather than your mind. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about the importance of having a strong mindset and being determined and being willing to go through the hard stuff, you know, to get to Saturday. Mm -hmm. Well, you just look at football, business people, they all have one thing in common. They have a a certain something in them, in their makeup and in their mind that will not allow them to not want to get to where they where they want to be. It just will not happen. And I, don't, I think you either have it or you don't. I think that's why ultimately you have people doing what they're doing and people that don't. Um, I think... You've got to be willing. To, I've said it at the start. You don't know how close you are to something mm -hmm. until you don't push yourself that tiny bit more. Mm -hmm. And that's anything. And I don't know, because for me, my parents weren't ever in sport I, I, at a good level. They played sport, of course they did, but not at a, a really strong level. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. I don't know. For me, I couldn't even put my finger on what, where that sort of came from. Normally, you sort of pick it up off other people, mm -hmm. off your parents or a relative or a friend or something that sort of pushes you. When they say surround yourself with like-minded people. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know. There was just, ever since I said that and I got told no, I always wanted to make a point. Mm -hmm. You always want to prove someone who undermines what you're saying wrong. So that might have been it. That might have been the thing for me. But it's in all aspects. 
<laughs> of life. I want to I want to live the best life I can physically live. I want to provide the best life I can for my family. And I want to play as high as possibly can in football. Simple. It's, and the thing is, you are going to get a lot of people doing it, if they listen to this and hear me and hear me say that. They'll probably sit there and go up, oh, push the phone away. But that is me. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, that is where I've got to how I've got to where I am today from where I've been. And I don't plan on stopping. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. I can't I can't do any more mm-hmm. and control any more than than me. Mm-hmm. Everything else is will take care of itself. The stars will align how they want to align. Mm-hmm. I think that's that that's a key component and you know and I, I mentioned before we started recording that we in this program uh, and this podcast at, at sort of young adults at young people who want to become a professional footballer whether they be teenagers or whether they be young players who maybe already mm-hmm. are you, you know young players maybe on a youth contract or whatever that's kind of what we want to do we want to inspire we want to encourage mm-hmm. we want to give people tips and tricks of how they can help themselves and part, a lot a lot of the things that I've noticed in your story is you have a desire to push yourself to the highest level you can push yourself through hard work mm-hmm. through dedication and there's nothing that's going to step in your way in your powers that's going to stop that you know you're going to give 100% of yourself until you can't give anymore and that's what you're doing yeah. and and that's how you've gone i think that's a, such an important lesson for these for young anyone listening to this that wants to go pro is mm-hmm. that like a lot of it is in your hands yes a little bit of luck comes in terms of someone needs to see you but the hard work the graft the dedication turning up every day putting in a hundred percent that's mm. on that's on you and your sto- your story i think you know really personifies that and mm. a major part of your story and i put this this portion in with the mindset and i really want to mm. talk about the you know the check it trophy final between Portsmouth and Sunderland because yep. you were the goalkeeper for, for for Portsmouth. You ended up being a winner on the day. You won the trophy. You saved a penalty and a penalty shootout. It was at Wembley. So there's so many factors in this that I think for young people to listen to and be like, wow, I would love to play at Wembley someday. Not only mm-hmm. just play at Wembley, I'd love to be in a cup final at Wembley. I'd love to be a winner at Wembley in a cup final. Talk to me about how you felt about that cup final talk to me about your mindset the pressure of being the keeper in a penalty shootout Mm. pretty much give me an idea of what you personally went through that day and how it affected your mind and your mindset and your mentality so there's a bit of a story before it because i've been to wembley three times and never played Mm -hmm. i sat on the bench three times and we'd lost Mm -hmm. so for me it was the first opportunity I'm actually going to get to step onto the Wembley pitch and actually play a game of football. And I will remember this for the rest of my life. I can remember walking out and as I got to the warm-up goal, I put my bottle down, my, glove, my towel down and said to myself, there and then, this will be your day. This will be your day. And I did the warm-up and the game went on as it did. And it couldn't have had any more. It literally was the perfect cup final. Drama, everything, last-minute goals, penalty shootouts. It had everything. <laughs> and I I said, like I said, I said that before the game started. And when it got to the shootout, that was when I sort of said to myself, well, you're in control now. You're literally in control of you winning or losing here, potentially, at Wembley. <laughs> so if you want to win, this is your opportunity. You save a penalty, there's not a great deal more you can do. You've got to rely on your teammates to score the rest of them. <laughs> so... Yeah, for me, it was, it's finally in my hands. Nothing else was in my hands before. You're unfortunately not picked by the manager to play. Mm-hmm. Now you're picked to play and you're now in the position where you save one penalty, you can win the shootout. And 
it was one that I wish I could bottle the feeling up. That feeling of relief, the feeling of euphoria when you win in front of 90,000 people, regardless of what the competition was and what people thought of it, to win on the penalty shootout in front of 90,000 supporters. <laughs> you just, there's no feeling like it. Honestly, I, for about two days later, I must have had adrenaline still in my body. It was ridiculous. I think, ridiculous. I think as well, it shows you the size and stature of both of those clubs and the fan bases mm. that 90,000 came to Wembley for that final. Mm. You know, oh, when- 100%. Well, I think in, in, in that week, the, um, the ground had sold out in a week. 45,000 apiece. It was gone. It was compl- there were no tickets left. And I actually generally reckon they could have sold more afterwards if there was more available. Um, and it just, like I said, it goes back to League One. Portsmouth, Sunderland, Charlton. They're massive clubs with such big histories. Um, and that, yeah, like, like I said, I would love us to get promoted automatically at, at Charlton. But if not, to go back to Wembley and winning the playoffs in front of a packed out um, set of Attic fans, do you know what I mean? <laughs> be perfect a, a crazy thing about that final is the man whose penalty you see of lee cattermall um mm. if you sort of look at both your journeys you know he he'd been in the premier league he'd moved for 11 million i believe at one stage and then mm. you were coming up through non-league and you're doing four hours mm. each way on a train and he's playing premier league football moving 11 million like moving for 11 million pounds which is nuts when you kind of think about it and mm. then you put those together and it was his penalty and your save and two completely different contrasting journeys. And I just think there's something really cool and unique in that. Um, and another thing I want to ask you about is pressure. As a goalkeeper, mm. do you feel pressure and how do you handle that? Yeah, well, the whole catamull thing, yeah, when you put it like that, it is pretty uh, surreal. Because I can remember numerous times watching catamull in his early stages mm-hmm. playing. And I remember sitting there watching Match of the Day and he was there. Um, <laughs> And he'd never take the penalty as well. So I didn't even know where, I didn't have any sort of idea where he was going. Um, so it was just purely one of that. It was meant to be. I went the right way and saved the penalty, which which ultimately won it for us. Um, in terms of pressure, yeah, I think everyone, anyone that says they don't feel pressure, I, I don't believe it. I, I, you're human at the end of the day. Now, whether you feel it from an external point of view or it's your own self-pressure because you want to do well. I think everyone, I feel pressure, of course I do, mm-hmm. but it's how you um, you use it. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it can be really beneficial, a bit of, a bit of pressure and a bit of, bit of um, butterflies in your tummy because mm-hmm. it, it, it means you care. Yeah. It means you want to do well. You want, you, you want to win the game of football. You want, mm-hmm. you want to do the best for you. Because it you, you care and it means a lot to you, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. For me, everyone feels pressure. It's just how you, how you use it. It's it's incredible. I think you know, especially as a keeper. You know, when you go away to certain grounds and you're standing in front of you know the big, the home support, mm-hmm. and you're getting pelters for for you know for one half of the pitch, and then you go down to the other for maybe a little bit of a reprieve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it must be hard being a keeper because I always find. A keeper's always hung out to dry. Now, I, I'm trying to word this quite politely. If a keeper makes a mistake, everyone hammers the keeper. No one mm. hammers a striker or a winger who have missed four or five chances to put the put the mm. game to bed. But if the keeper makes one mistake or misses one chance, almost the game could be lost. And it's almost mm. a really unfair swing, you know, when mm. when I when I look at it in that context. Um, 
Talk to me about that sort of pressure, about the pressure of accountability to your teammates and do you hold your teammates accountable to you, i.e. your your defenders, your fullbacks, your your midfielders as well? Yeah, I think, well, most people you speak to, they go, you're absolutely not. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to stand in front of a net, get a ball smashed towards you, but then also have that, like you said, that one, you're one second away from, if you make a mistake, it can cost a goal and then you're getting barraged from behind the goal, etc. But I don't know, I think that's part of the reason why I wanted to change to go in there. Mm-hmm. Just because there's, there's that, for me, you make a save that wins your game, it's better than a goal. The feeling is better than scoring a goal. And yeah, the, that's the reason why I like what it is I do. There is that that element of risk. Is that Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe risk is the word because mm-hmm. there is a risk at the end of it. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't know. I, I, for me, yeah, we've all got to be a little bit mad, but I think, yeah, that's why... Yeah, you love being a goalkeeper, ultimately. <laughs> the great risk and the great reward. You know, penalty shootout, yeah. for, for yeah, example. Exactly. You know. Exactly, exactly. You're either, you're either a hero or a villain. I think I like the fact that you've got the chance of being the hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. But I do think you do get a lot of pelters. <laughs> I do think goalkeepers get an awful lot of stick, um, especially when you watch Sky Sports now. I mean, literally everything that goes in, they're always trying to analyse the goalkeepers. Mm-hmm. Always. But, it's the industry we're in. It's the position we've chosen. I don't think anyone would change it that isn't in that position as a goalkeeper. No, absolutely. I think it's brilliant. You know, mm-hmm. especially when you talk mm-hmm. to goalkeepers, I always find they're so unique. Um, yeah. there's, there's such unique personalities within the team, mm-hmm. within the changing room. Just they're always, they've always something unique and special about them. And I think yeah. that's that's what you said. You know, you're standing in front of a net and having balls smashed at you. You know, you must think yeah. this, this is nuts. You know, but at the same time, there's something just so special about about it as well um as we begin to begin to wrap up and I, I know i've kept you a little bit over the time that i told you but this has been a lot of fun for me we're going to close up with just another couple of quick fire questions yeah um if you could offer one piece of advice to a young footballer who wants to go pro or who maybe is a pro and striving to continue on that journey what piece of advice would you give them um enjoy it don't put pressure on yourself don't put time scales on yourself and just enjoy it um, if you start putting too much unnecessary pressure and expectation on on timescales, it, it, it can it can hinder you. Mm-hmm. You've got to have a freedom um, in what you do to achieve what you want to achieve and get the best out of you. So for me, it's at a young age, just enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Enjoy what it is and, and suck up as much knowledge and learning as you possibly can. Phenomenal piece of advice. Absolutely phenomenal. For you guys listening, take that advice. Also, remember to follow Craig on social media he is on instagram and um, follow there see what he's up to continue to follow him on his journey another couple of quick fire questions that will begin mm-hmm. to wrap this up who was the biggest no inf- who's the biggest influence on your career and um, if you could pick one goalkeeper that you looked up to admired etc uh so as an outfielder until 16 it was gigs yeah i just loved everything he was about <laughs> i don't know he, he wasn't flash he wasn't one of the ones that like to steal the headlines and he, and he was a hard worker from what I could see anyway. I didn't know him personally, obviously, but he was a hard worker. Um, in terms of goalkeepers, Joe Hart, I still stand by it. He's had a very really tough time when he left Man City, but it hasn't stopped him. He's gone up to, to Scotland now and he's flying up there. And the one time I met him after the West Ham game in the FA Cup, 
is the most grounded and most normal human being I've ever met. Really is. It's one of those really interesting ones because when people talk about Joe Hart, he always gets kind of branded as this keeper who makes consistent mistakes now, mm. you know, because, you know, especially in the media and that sort of thing. Mm. But when you look at his career and what he's done oh, and what he's incredible. achieved, it's actually insane. But he's another one. He's come from lower down the pyramid and worked mm. his way up to what he had. And he's had, there's no one can knock it. You have to look at his CV. It is mm. phenomenal. To go from Shrewsbury in League Two to, to England goalkeeper for numerous years. Mm-hmm. It's it's an incredible CV he's had and what he's won. And I think even at this stage of his career, because after sort of Spurs and Burnley and then City kind of discarded him towards the end and stuff, and he won Premier League and an FA Cup and everything at City. But he's went up to Scotland to play for Celtic. And obviously you being Scottish, you know the pressures that comes with playing for Mm -hmm. Rangers and Celtic. You know, you're not allowed to lose any game ever. Because any no. the only game that you no. can realistically lose as Rangers and Celtic is to each other because they have the money and they have the players, but at the same time the rivalry is too big that it's not acceptable either. <laughs> exactly, and that might be one of the reasons why he's decided that's his next next step because mm-hmm. there is that pressure, there is that expectation to do well, and Celtic ultimately lost the the title last year, so mm-hmm. their aim is to get it back. Mm-hmm. That yeah. might be one of the reasons why he went up there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely agree with you. And another question, just to wrap this up, is by your teammate, mm-hmm. Connor Washington, your striker, who is well, probably one of the guys blasting balls at you at training. Yeah. Um, Connor wants to know how many dumbbells do you eat for breakfast every day? Uh, <laughs> I had a feeling this might come up. Um, to be fair, he's a bit like me. He's bit, I'm sure you might get a little bit out of him later. He's massive on looking after himself in the gym. And he's big. I think he's big into his CrossFit as well. Um, yeah. Love a dumbbell. Love a dumbbell. Um, I don't really know what else to say. Uh, he gave you some compliments yesterday when I asked him for a question for you. So he's, he's been very complimentary to you, even though you're probably saving a lot of his shots and yeah, tra- training every day. I think I think his, uh, his interview will be very insightful, I have to say. It will be very insightful indeed. Um, so, yeah, fingers crossed uh, he gives you the information you want because I'm sure he's got a very insightful story well Craig I appreciate that and I thank you for your time today it's been a phenomenal interview phenomenal conversation no wish wish you the best for the rest of the season continue to, to pursue your dream getting higher up in the leagues playing for Scotland look forward to following it for our listeners thank you for listening get following Craig on social media and this has been the Match Fit Football Podcast I'm Darren Potts and we will see you next time